And if you'd open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 3, we'll be in James chapter 3 this morning. People have said to me, hey, why don't you put the Bible verses up on the screen? And the reason that I don't, I mean, Kevin could, but the reason that we don't is because I want you to turn to them in your Bible. I want you to know where they're at in your book, because this, the book that's in front of you is the book that you're going to take home with you. And I want you to make notes, and it's okay to write in your Bible if you didn't know that, but I want you to make notes on, not necessarily what I say, but what the Lord says to you as we study the scriptures together. So I don't put them up there so you'll find them in your Bible. Because sometimes I'll say, hey, turn to the book of uh, Haggai, and you might go, where's that? Well, it's good for you to find out where it is. I'll give you directions, a little to the left, a little to the right. I'll tell you landmarks to look for along the way. But we believe so strongly in this book being God's word that I think it's important that the book is what we study from. It's what, this is what we learn. So I don't put the scriptures up on the screen because I want you to find them in your book because when you go home, you take this with you. And then you can always refer back to it to what the Lord spoke to you today. All right. Have you ever heard the saying, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you? I did as a kid. That was one that we used. We had another one. It went something like this. I'm rubber and you're glue. What you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Those are ways that we as children, or at least I did, that kind of went around, and some of you are shaking your head like you've heard it as well. Those are ways that we try to say, hey, what you say to me and what you say about me doesn't affect me. Is that true? No, not at all. Because what happens is what people say about you, what people say to you does affect you. Even if we've tried to make it seem like it doesn't. And this morning, as we study the book of James here in chapter 3, and we're going to cover the whole chapter this morning, as we study that, we're going to see that James has quite a bit to say about our tongue, about our speech, about the way that we should talk. Now, just as a point of review, James has been very, very straightforward in saying, and I'm going to put it into my words, if you will, hey, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, your life should look a certain way. Your, your speech should be a certain way. The way that you act in difficulty, in trials, you should be content in trials. The way that you act in temptation, you should be able to bear temptation. You should not have partiality, which means you shouldn't look at people differently. When they come into the body of Christ, you shouldn't go, oh, well, that's a wealthy person. Let's welcome them in. Them in. Oh, well, he doesn't look like her. She doesn't look like she has very much money, so we're just going to, well, you can sit back here in the back over in the corner somewhere. They said, James says, no, don't do that. As Christians, if someone says, I want to be a follower of Christ, well, how do I, what does that look like? How does that, how did, should that appear in my life? Read the book of James, because he's rather clear on it. And this morning, as we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. He says, my brethren, my brothers, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and they're driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member." and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So we read here as he starts out with my brother, my brethren, my brothers. That's not the first time he said that in our study through the book of James. He said it several times, and each time he says it, he's introducing a new section, if you will, a new thought, a new idea. Back in James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials because knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He says, my brothers, count it all joy when you're going through a difficult situation. Because you know that difficult situation is testing your faith. And when your faith is tested, it's going to produce patience in you. Count it all joy. And then in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. My brothers, don't be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. 
And then in verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, so then, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We can't get angry at somebody and produce God's righteousness in them by getting angry. And those things that he just mentioned there in verse 19, those are, that's good advice. Be a good listener. Be a slow speaker. I don't mean slow in, in talk slowly. I mean slow to let listen first. Hear what somebody's saying. Don't just spout off at the mouth. It's good to engage your mind before you engage your tongue. Because a lot of times we say things that we wish we wouldn't have said. You ever done that? I have. We've all said things that I wish I could take it back. James says, hey, be careful. Slow down. Think about what you're about to say. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, My brethren, again, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Don't hold it with prejudice. It's for everybody. Don't, don't treat people differently, it says. And then in chapter 2, verse 14, we saw this. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works. He says, brothers, if someone says they have faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not doing anything about their faith, can their faith save them? The answer is no. If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What good is it? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So again, he says, my brothers, it's important that you just, it's not what you say, it's what you do. That's what he's been teaching us up to this point. Now the tide is going to shift a little bit, and he's going to say, my brethren, it's important about what you say too. What you say is important. Your faith is going to produce good works in you, but notice here in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Let not many of you become teachers knowing that we might receive a stricter judgment. Is that saying what I think it's saying? Yeah, it is. But here's, let me put it into context for you. The early church was blooming. They were, they were meeting mostly in homes, and they would have somebody that delivered the gospel message, delivered the word of God, but then several other people were given a chance to stand up and to talk and to share whatever it is that God wanted them to share. And what James is saying, listen men, before you get up and decide that you're going to become a teacher, before you're going to get up and teach somebody else, your own life better be in order. Because you are now being held to a stricter judgment or a stricter standard. So here's what he's saying. When you're going to teach something, you better be living it. You better be living it. You better be living or practicing what you preach, so to speak. But you can imagine in a group of people, there's always those, those people that like to be the center of attention. And they want to be in front of everybody. And they've always got something to say. And they always want to come up and just deliver a message to everybody because they think they're the ones that have the message. James is saying, be careful about that. Be careful. Don't do that. Don't be, just, don't be a person who just wants to talk to hear yourself talk. But he's really focusing in on here. And while the tongue is important for all of us, he's really focusing in on teachers. Why? Because that's what they use. What am I using right now to teach you guys? My tongue. I'm using my mouth, my words. That, that's what the teacher uses. And James is telling us, if you're going to become a teacher, and there's, you can say this is a warning, 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 warning. If you're going to teach the Word of God, you will be held to a stricter judgment. You say, Rob, why are you up there doing that? Why, well, wouldn't it be easier just to, let's go listen to somebody else and let him be held to the stricter judgment? I agree, let's go. Here's what it means. Stricter, the word means megas. That's where we get our word mega from. It means grand or large. If I am a deliverer of God's word, I am, be, I am being held into a stricter judgment in, in two ways. Number one, I have to answer to God someday on how I represented him to the people. Someday I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to look at me and, and I have to answer on how I represent him. Did I represent God's heart? as I taught through the scriptures? Or did I, represent, did I represent the full counsel of God? Or did I only teach the judgment of God? Or did I only teach the grace of God? You see, because it's possible to only teach part of who God is. But did I represent the whole counsel, the whole everything who God represents? I have to answer for that. 
Now let that be a warning to those of you who inspire to teach or those of you who have already started teaching. If you decide I'm going to teach the Word of God, whether it be to your family, whether it be to at a nursing home, whether it be at a funeral, wherever it might be that you're teaching God's Word, you have just volunteered for stricter judgment. You volunteered to have what you're teaching be held against you in a sense of, are you practicing what you're preaching? Again, Rob, why are you standing here? Wouldn't it be, put somebody else up there. Let us shoot at him for a while. No, that's not, here's the point. Why am I standing here? Because it's what God called me to do. Because I'm answering the call of God. I would be, it would be worse for me if I was disobedient to God than to stand up here and be held to a stricter judgment. It would be worse if I'd have said, you guys know I came from Florida. It would have been worse if I'd have said, you know what, Lord, no thanks. I'm just going to stay down here in Florida. I got a good career. I'm happy. Friends, family, even got a good church. Everything's going good. I'm just going to stay here. I don't want that stricter judgment thing. That kind of scares me. Well, that would have been, being in walking in utter disobedience would be much worse than being held to a higher standard. But it also goes this way. Not only, does it, not only will I answer to God for the way I represent him, you guys hold me to a higher standard than you hold yourself to. Think about that for a minute. If I did what you did, would it be okay? So Jason's back there, no. <laughs> if, I did, if, I did this, if I did everything that you guys did all week, would it, would it be okay? Or would you look at me and go, well, he's not fit to be a pastor. So you get held to a higher standard before the people that you're teaching to as well. It's, 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 it's inevitable. You, you, you automatically transfer. You look at me and go, well, you shouldn't do, it's okay for me to do those things, and I have the grace of God, but you shouldn't do those things. And I agree. As a pastor, as a teacher, you can be disqualified. If you're walking in habitual sin, if you're committing certain things, there's certain things that a pastor, I'm sorry, you can't, doesn't mean you can never be a pastor again. But there are certain things that disqualify you from teaching the Word of God. One of them would be if I consistently did not practice what I preach. I don't like teaching this section. I would like to skip it. Because as I teach it, you know who gets examined first? I start preparing at the beginning of the week. So you get to hear it on Sunday, have breakfast, go home and forget about it. I have to listen to it all week as I study and prepare. And we're going to talk about how important our tongue is and the influence it has in people's lives. So James warns us nicely, my brothers, my brothers, let not many of you become teachers. Don't all stand up and have a teach. Let it be a calling of the Lord, I think. Knowing, and notice he puts we in there, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now understand something too. James is not saying that a teacher must be perfect, but he must understand what he's getting himself into. James is not saying that a pastor or a teacher must live a perfect, sinful life, or sinless life. Sin, yeah, sinful life is more like it. But, but it, he's not saying perfection is the standard, but the person must know what he's getting himself into. James would say this way. Look at verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, that means your mouth, what comes out of your mouth, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, the word stumble, it means to literally to trip or to fall. It's, it's, it's not fall down forever. It means you fall down and you get back up. You, you fall over, you trip, you get back up. And he says, we all make mistakes. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble with what comes out of his mouth, you ever done that? Will we, can, we, can we agree with James that, hey, we've all had things come out of our mouth that, we, that probably shouldn't have come out of our mouth? I can. If we, if he's saying, if anyone does not stumble in word, he's not saying that it's okay to do it. He's saying, if you don't, it means something. And here's what it means. It means he is a perfect man. Say, wait a minute, Rob. I know there's no such thing as perfect. Jesus was the only one. No, no. That word for perfect, it's uh, it's called teleos in the Greek. And what it means, it means complete. It means meeting the highest standard. It means mature. It means he's a mature Christian. Means, it doesn't mean he's perfect and living a sinless life. It means he's mature and he's been growing and he is now able to control the things that come out of his or her mouth. So don't think of it as perfection. Think of it as mature. If he's able to control what comes out of his mouth, he's mature. And he's also, or she's also, able to bridle the whole body. Which means that he or she is able to control their entire body. 
They're able to control their mind. They're able to control where their mind is going. They're able to control what's coming out of their mouth. They're able to, there's, there's not any rampant sin in their life. They're able to control their flesh. They're not being led around by their flesh. They're saying a mature Christian is able to do these things. And he reminds us, we're not perfect. And we all stumble and trip. But as we mature, one of the things that we're going to see is the ability to control our tongue. Let me put it to you this way. A mature Christian will be able to control his or her tongue, and if he can control his tongue, the rest of his body will also be in control. So we'll have a little test. How mature are we? Where do you stand? Grade yourself. Are you a mature Christian, or are you, well, I'm still a baby Christian? You know, it takes two years to learn to talk, right? But yet we can blow it so quickly. Give yourself a grade, an A through an F. A means I'm mature. F means, man, I'm like the baby over there fussing. You know, which one, and that doesn't bother me at all. Stay there, it's fine. Which one is it that, which one is it that me? After you've given yourself a grade, go ask somebody you live with to grade you. And I bet you'll have graded yourself a lot higher than they will have graded you. Because we don't like to give ourselves bad grades. I didn't fail at this. Now, I didn't ask my wife this question. But you guys go do it. After you've given yourself a grade, go ask your spouse, your parents, your roommate, your friend, the people that you are going to eat breakfast with. Say, hey, how, how do I do it controlling my tongue? Be ready for the answer if you really want to hear it. If you don't really want to hear it, don't ask. But what you'll find is that as James is, James is true and, and he's accurate in what he says, the more mature you become, the more you'll be able to control what comes out of your mouth. Now, I'm going to give you a little hint. I'm in by no means perfect in this. But this past week, this past week, something, ha- something was said that made me angry. It was my wife that said something to me. And uh, it wasn't a big fighter, but she made me angry. You know what I said to her? Nothing. I left the room, and I went in the other room, and I sat down, and I said nothing to her. Not a word, not a peep came out of my mouth. I did it. I controlled my tongue. But then I had to go repent and I had to go apologize for what I thought. Because although it didn't come out of my mouth, I had to go to my wife and say, honey, I'm sorry for being so angry at you. And I'm sorry for saying the thing. She goes, you didn't say anything. I said, I know. Yes, I did. I didn't say it in my mouth, but I said it in my mind. But one of the signs of being mature is I'm able to take that. That now in my mind is between me and God. It's not out for the rest of the world to hear. It's not out for everybody around me to hear. It's not out for my kids to hear. It's not out for my wife to hear. The hurt didn't take place because it, it wasn't said. It goes between me and God that I begin to deal with it. So I kept quiet. And you might think, oh, great, good job. And it is. It's better than letting it out. But I want to get to the place as a follower of Christ where I don't even think those things. I want to get to the place of maturity where I would never think or forget even trying to hold it back. It's just not there. And I'm doing that. I'm getting, as we mature, we move in that direction as we continue in God's Word. So, James would illustrate his point to us this way. He would say, indeed, in verse 3, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. He says, your tongue, it's like like a bit in a horse's mouth. Big, powerful horse, they put a bit in the horse's mouth and they use it to control the horse. A little bit of pressure inside the mouth tells the horse to turn this way, turn that way. The little tiny rudder on a ship in a great and fierce storm tells it where to go. If you look at the size of the ship compared to the size of the rudder, they're much different. That small little rudder will direct things or deflect the water in the direction it needs to go. It's just these little, and what what James is saying is this, your tongue is small, but it's powerful. What you say, out of it's just this little part of your body that's so small, but yet it has so much power in it. It's so much power. It can boast great things. It can make wild claims. It can give great speeches. Here's what I want you to remember. My tongue is extremely powerful. My tongue is powerful. The things that come out of my mouth, the things that come out of my mouth have tremendous, tremendous impact on somebody else. I can use my words to build somebody up or I can use them to break somebody down. I can use my words to encourage somebody 
or to discourage somebody. I can use my words to compliment somebody or to condemn somebody. I can use what I say to teach God's word, or I could be teaching modern philosophy and modern psychology and self-help skills and things from up here on Sunday morning. I could use my mouth to do all of these things. Do you know, do you know the impact that the mouth has in your life every single day? As a police officer, years ago they had a class, it was called Verbal Judo. That's what it was called. That was the name of the class. And they taught you how to talk to people. I, I sat through this week-long class, verbal judo, on how to, how to de-escalate a situation, how to escalate a situation when necessary, how to use the tone of my voice, how to use my words, my questions, all of these things. They taught me all these things, how to respond to people. Do you know it worked? It really did. You could go, I could, we had a guy that I worked with, and I won't tell you his name because maybe someday he'll listen and I wouldn't want to embarrass him. But we had a guy, every time, I almost said his name, every time he would show up on a call, you knew the situation was going to get bad because of what was going to come out of his mouth. I would go to a domestic call, all right? I get there, I get the husband calmed down, I get the wife calmed down, we're working it out, and he shows up. The minute he shows up, he's going to get out of the car, say something stupid, and then the fight is on. I used to cancel him because of the, he would, he, would, he would come up and he would make a remark about the house, he would make a remark about the guy, he'd, he'd make some sarcastic remark here, there, whatever it was, and before long, what was escalated, I had de-escalated, he jumps right back up again. I got in more fights because of this guy coming to my calls. I used to, I used to cancel him. Finally, I told him, stop it, don't even come. Stay, I'd, it's safer for me without you. I don't need your backup. Because he, that's just his personality. He was, he was very harsh, he was very brash, and, and he, I'm just a tell-it-like-it-is guy. Well, stop it. Stop doing it that way. Don't always be that way. And it got to be annoying for me, and we had several, and I, I, we talked about it several times. And it got to the point where I just, I didn't want him on the calls. I, I'd, rather be, I'd rather do it alone, because every time he got there, it was all, I knew it was going to escalate to something. He'd call on the radio. I'm on the way. Oh, no, no, hurry up, I gotta get done. You know, and that, that's the way it was. Here, James illustrates the power of the tongue like this. In verse 5, the last half of verse 5, he says, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. In other words, James is saying the tongue is like a fire. It's like fire. One small spark of your tongue can burn an entire forest down. Is that true? Can the right words destroy a relationship? We like to call it, he or she knows how to push my buttons, right? You know what to say if you've been married long enough to aggravate your spouse if you want to. And they know what to say to aggravate you if they want to. You know what to say to aggravate your boss if you want to. You know what, you get to know people, and sometimes, and I'm sad to say, I've, I've done this before. I, I, I used to enjoy this, and, and I don't do it anymore, but I used to know that if I said the right things to certain people, they'd get all in a tizzy and get all upset and get all angry, and I'd watch it happen. At the, police de- at the police department, there were certain people, you could say a few words to them, and they'd just blow their top, and they'd get all upset, and you'd get them all ramped up over the news or this or that, and, and we would just sit, and, I would just, I would just, and then I would sit back and watch, and they'd go crazy. And then I realized as I studied the Scripture one day, wow, I'm not using my tongue for what I should be using my tongue for. But a fire is not all bad either, is it? A fire is good. It's a tool. It keeps you warm. It cooks. You know, the tongue, if it's used properly... If it's used properly, it can be a good thing. Here's what I want you to remember. My tongue can be constructive. It can be used to steer a ship or guide a horse, or it can be destructive, to tear somebody down, to burn down a forest. It can be destructive just as easily as it can be constructive. James tells us the tongue is a world of iniquity. It means injustice, wrongdoing, unrighteousness. The tongue defiles your whole body. It means to spoil, to pollute, to stain. The tongue can set your whole life on fire because it is set on fire by hell itself. On the tongue, what comes out of your mouth has incredible influence on people around you. Have you ever met somebody 
and you thought, oh, they're, they're, they, you look at them and they're well-dressed and they're nice. And the moment they open their mouth, you think, oh boy, oh no, I, I, they're, they're a mess. There's a problem. They're, there's, they're, all they're doing is complaining. They're, they're dropping all kinds of bad words. It's just, it's terrible. Well, the tongue has that power. I know for a fact, and you guys know it too, what I say to my wife can affect her whole day. What she says to me can affect my whole day. The way that she says it can affect my whole day. And the way that I say something to her, just the tone. Sometimes it's not saying something that can affect her whole day. So often we get caught up in these, in our words. So often our words can hurt other people. What about gossip? about gossip? Does gossip hurt somebody? Sure it does. Well, what is gossip? What is it? Well, how, how would we define gossip? It's something that you would say to somebody else, but you wouldn't say it to their face. It's when you're talking about somebody else, ask yourself this question, would I, talk, would I have this conversation if they were in the room with me? If they were standing in the circle? If they were sitting across the table, would I still be sharing what I'm sharing or would it be embarrassing to them? And it starts out as, have you heard? Did you hear what happened to? Can you believe? And it starts out that way. That's the tongue. And, and you're doing damage to a relationship. How many times have you heard where somebody's gossiping or talking about somebody else, and that person walks up, and they hear it, and they're hurt by it? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Flattery is the same thing. What's flattery? Flattery is saying to somebody's face what you wouldn't say away from them. Oh, I want something from you, so I'll tell you how nice you are and how lovely you are. And gee, don't you look nice today? Now, will you help me with this? But then you walk away and you go, I would never say that nice thing about that person. It's just as bad. You know, it's just, it's, there's no different. But we, we get these words, we get these ideas, and we don't realize the impact they have. But not only are your words impacting them, they're impacting you and the person you're sitting across from. I think that we, we would be very well-minded to mind our own business sometimes. And there's things about people that don't need to be put out there. There's people go through difficult seasons and they make mistakes and the world doesn't need to talk about it, especially the church world. Because sometimes it's, it's not sometimes, it's, gossip is always usually hurtful. And you, especially if it's going on while the person is standing there or being around or it gets back to them. It gets back to them. You know, we come to church, praise you, Lord, we love you, Jesus. Have you heard what Susie did? I think she's pregnant. Who do you think the father is? That's none of our business. We should be praying for Susie and praying for the father and praying for the family because now they're in, they're in a battle for their life and their whole life is changing. But we want to pass along the information. We want to get it out there. Have you heard what? Have you heard what Jason said? Let me tell you, who wants to know what Jason said? No. Be careful with that. James would put it this way. He would say all kinds of animals can be tamed. It's easier to tame or control a wild animal than it is to control your tongue. I agree with that. I agree. I agree. He says in verse 7 this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's always a moment away from slipping. No matter how well you think you control it, it's only a moment away from, ah, there goes those words, I need to bring those back, and you can't. Once it comes out, it's too late. But think about it. You can ride an elephant. You can ride a camel. You can sing to a snake, and it pops out of a basket. We've all kinds of crazy animals that we've tamed. Poisonous things that people wouldn't even go near. Oh, yeah, we're going to tame them. But no man can tame their tongue because it's just a moment away from destroying somebody. But at the same time, it can be used for incredible good purposes, for building somebody up, for encouraging somebody, and for praising God. Look what James says in verse 9. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. 
James is saying the tongue can be used for the highest calling, which is to bless God. Or it can be used for the lowest evil. It can be used for the lowest evil, which is to curse men. Peter. Peter declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Incredible proclamation he made. But he also used the same tongue and he cursed Jesus with his mouth when he denied knowing him on the night before he was crucified. That's how we live sometimes. James says that shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. As as Christians who are maturing, we should begin to grab hold and to gain control of what comes out of our mouth. We shouldn't have this divide. We shouldn't be like one time we're spewing nice things, the next time we're spewing obscenities, and we we sit in church on Sunday and everything's fine, and we go to work on Monday, and out, out of our mouth is coming all kinds of incredible words that we wouldn't dare. We should be the same people, whether we're in church on Sunday or whether at work on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, knowing that we're not perfect. Because we are going to have the moments where we slip. Peter, again, James himself, James himself declared Jesus to be out of his mind. Remember that in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. His family came to get Jesus. Jesus was putting together the apostles. They thought he was crazy. Out of his mind means beside him. Schizophrenic is what it really means. They thought he was schizophrenic. They came to try to bring him back home. He's crazy. You've lost your mind. That's what James himself said. So he's got some experience with what he's saying. It wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead that he got saved, that he began to believe. After appointing the apostles, he came and he tried to, they tried to lay hold of Jesus. They wanted to take him. We're going to forcefully take him back home. He's crazy. So James realized, hey, even James has said things in his past, said things that he shouldn't have said. But he puts it real simply. He said, hey, can a fig tree grow an olive? No. No. Can a grapevine grow an orange? No. Can an apple tree grow a pear? No. An apple tree grows what? Apples. Apples. And he's coming around to this point. He's going to say this. You, call, you can call yourself a Christian, but what comes out of your mouth tells us really where you're at. Tells us how mature you are. Tells us where you're at with the Lord. You can be walking, you can be a believer in Christ for years and years and years and years. But if you can't control your mouth around your spouse, that speaks a lot to where your spiritual maturity is. That'll tell us really where you're at. You can know the right thing to say. You can know the scriptures, but if they haven't hit your heart, they're not being lived out in your life. That's what James is talking about works. If I take the belief, you can, say, you can agree with everything I'm saying this morning, but if you don't go home and change, what good is it? That's what James says. What profit is it? What value is it? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of coming to church if you just listen to me talk but aren't interested in changing your life and allowing the Lord to change it? Besides breakfast afterwards. It's just, it, there, there serves no purpose for it. He says this. You can tell, I'm going to put it in my words here. He says, you can tell us, you can tell me that you're a Christian. No different than an apple tree could say, I'm an apple tree. But if I want to know what kind of tree it is, I'm going to look at the fruit. I'm going to see what's coming out of that tree. If the sign in front of the apple tree says pear tree and I see little red apples on it, which one am I going to believe? I'm going to believe the apples because that's what it is. You can call it whatever you want. But the fruit that it's bearing will tell us who it is. Now here's the thing. As we study this, as we read this, as we learn, all right, Rob, you're right. I must control my tongue. I understand my words. Maybe they're not always what they should be. Maybe I need to work on that. Here's the best news yet. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to help us with that. We have the Holy Spirit. It's not like you have to do it all by yourself. When you believe on Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And then as you begin to say something you shouldn't, you're going to feel that conviction, I shouldn't be saying that. As you sit around after bre- at breakfast this morning after church and someone says, hey, did you hear about? You're going to go, I shouldn't be saying that. Let's talk about something else. Let's change the, let's change the topic. Ask yourself this question when it comes to gossip, and I'll say it again because it's important. Would you talk, would you say exactly what you're saying if they were sitting across the table from you? And then here's what happens. I've got to share this with you. This is funny too. Because as you mature in this area, and you go, all right, I, I understand gossip, I'm not going to do it. It becomes sort of innuendos in the Christian life. We, we make innuendos. Hey, hey, did you hear? Her, her, how, how's, how's Jason doing? Well, I really, I really can't say, you know. What if I just told you? Jason's not doing so good. 
you know, or, hey, did you hear, you know, it could, because there is that idea that I want I care about people and I want to know and I have, I have a sincere interest and that's okay. But only share what you're willing to share with the people sitting there. How's, how's, how's Jason doing? Well, you know, it probably would be gossip if I told you what I heard. Stop. And I'll give you another tip. If you haven't heard it from the person directly, don't share it. Don't say it. There's no reason to say it. There's no reason to pass it along. There's no reason why it should be going from person to person to person to person. Stop it. Because a lot of it's not true. I hear things, sometimes things get back to me. Hey, I heard this about you. No, that's not true. I heard that about you. No, where'd you hear it from? I can't tell you. Well, if you can't tell me, then it's clearly gossip. Somebody said this about you. Well, who? Well, no, I I just want to tell you what I heard through the grapevine. Let the grapevine keep what's in the grapevine. Let's be more interested in ourselves. Here's what it comes down to. I need to look at myself. I have enough problems in my own life. I don't need to hear what your problems are. You have enough problems in your life, in your own individual life, that you don't need to be concerned with somebody else's life unless it is to pray for them. And let's not to convict them. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. You worry about yourself and say, where am I at? When you look at this, some of you have a tendency to go, I know who he's talking about. I know that that person, I, I know somebody who does this. I know who they, they gossip and they do this thing. And he's talking, no, I'm talking, not talking about them. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about each one of us needs to look at this scripture and go, where am I at with this? Where do I stand with my mouth? And I find that I fall short sometimes. Sometimes I'm okay. But I have the grace of God and I have the blood of Jesus Christ to cover me. But I don't give up. I keep going. James would say this. This is what I wrote down. My tongue should have a singular purpose for good, not a dual personality. My tongue should have a singular purpose, which is to do good or to do the will of God. It shouldn't be this dual personality thing. Fresh water, salt water, figs, grapes. It should be, my tongue should be the same regardless of my company. It's been common that men speak differently around men and we don't talk that way around women. Why? Why? I think we should talk the same way around everybody. Well, do you get offended by bad language? No, I've heard all the language, bad language. It doesn't bother me a bit, but I don't talk that way. I I talk the the same way I talk around my wife. It's the same way I talk in public. It's been that way for years in my life. Even as a police officer, the same way I talked around the guys at work was the same way I talked around my wife. I made a point as I studied this scripture years ago, I'm not going to be different. I'm going to let let my, my, my speech be true and pure. I didn't want that dual personality coming out of my mouth. And James continues this. He says in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? It's a question. Who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now that word wise, it means skilled, experienced. He's kind of referring back to teacher again. It's a technical term that they would use to, to refer to a rabbi or to a Pharisee or to one of the Jewish leaders. So technically, he's, ref- he's, not, he's not getting off topic here. He's saying, hey, those of you who are teachers, show yourselves by good conduct that your works are done in the meekness of, win- of wisdom. Just as James addresses teachers in the beginning of chapter 3, he's addressing teachers again. Real wisdom is not head knowledge, but it will be seen in our conduct. Real wisdom, wisdom from the Lord, it'll be, it'll, you'll be lived out. Wisdom is not necessarily, in other words, he's saying it's, it's not about what you know, it's about what you're living. You can teach so much more on, what you're, on the way that you're living than on what you know out of your head. And he makes it even clearer. He says, I want it to be in meekness of wisdom. That means you have an internal attitude. So your good works bring attention to God and to glory to God, not, not to yourself. Let the things that you know, let the things that you do bring attention to the Lord, not to yourself. And he puts it this way in verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Bitter envy, that's cruel or a harsh attitude. It's jealousy for somebody else. Self-seeking means if if selfish ambition. You want to be promoted. You want to be recognized. Remember, he's talking to teachers. If you're jealous of the person teaching, if you, you, look at, you look at me and go, well, I don't think you're doing a very good job teaching. I think I could do better than you. I, I, think, I think that you should stop that, step down as pastor. Maybe, maybe I should be pastor. Not here. Go start your own church. Go, go somewhere else and start your own church if you can do better. I'm okay with that. We can be friends. I have no problem with that. This is where God called me. This is what God's called me to do. 
But here's what it's saying is people come in and they begin to, and it happens after someone's been part of a church for a while. Uh, and they start to look at the past and they think, well, wait a minute, he's not doing, you know, he missed this point or he missed that point or he didn't share it right or he, he made this mistake or he made that mistake. Stop. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. Don't, don't be bitter envy. Don't be self-seeking because this wisdom, he says, this wisdom, which is the capacity to understand and function accordingly, this wisdom does not descend from above. But it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where envy, I'm in verse 15 or 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are. Confusion and every evil thing are. He's saying simply this. As a teacher, and he's not just referring to pastors, Anybody who's sharing the Word of God, whether it be to your friends, to your family, to your husband, to your wife, to your, if you're sharing the Word of God, your conduct and your speech will expose your motivation. Your conduct and your speech will expose your motivation. In other words, is it all about you? Is it all about you? Is it all about me? Or is it all about the Lord? Is it all about what, God, what God's doing or what, all, all about what you're doing? All, is, it, is your life, is it all about you? Do you like to talk about yourself the most? Or do you like to ask questions about people and how they're doing and what's going on in their life? Or is it all about you? How many I statements do you use? Think about that for a second. Next time you're talking about yourself, listen to how many times you talk about I. I, I, I did, I, 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 I. Listen to your conversation. See how many times I comes out. Be warned by it. Let it be a warning where you say, wow, I never saw that before. I really do talk about myself a lot. And be a person who asks questions about somebody else. This wisdom that he's talking about, look at verse 17, and we're going to kind of close in this section. Don't zip up your Bibles yet, not yet. But we're, we're getting to the end. But the wisdom that is from above, this is the wisdom, the knowledge, the stuff from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what he's saying is this understanding that comes from above. You ever wonder, someone says, or you ever wonder, hey, I really feel like the Lord's putting something on my heart to do something. Or I really feel the Lord has showed me something. This is a filter. Highlight this section in your Bible. Because if you want to know if something's from the Lord in your life, it will meet all of these standards. It'll meet. The first thing, that's, if it's coming from the Lord, the first thing, it'll be pure. It'll be pure. And that means it's not mingled with something. That means it's undiluted. It's, in a, it's original. It's not mixed with worldly philosophy. It's not mixed with, uh, with uh, postmodern thinking. It's not mixed with the... It, it's unadulterated. It's clean. It's pure. It's holy. It's coming from God. And then he says it's going to be peaceable. Peaceable. It, it means it's conducive to a harmonious relationship. It's free from anxiety or inner turmoil. Is what the Lord's calling me to do, is it building a relationship with somebody or is it breaking one down? Am I worried about it? Am I stressing over it or am I accepting it? Hey, this is just what the Lord's calling me to do. It's going to be pure. It's going to be peaceable. It's going to be gentle. Gentle, fitting, fair. It's the picture of not always being, not insisting that you're always right, not worried about the specific letters of the law, being, being sort of tolerant and accepting of somebody's mistakes, not, not holding it against them. It's just being, being a gentle, a gentle word turns away wrath. Gentle, it's just a kind word. It's, it's being gentle there and willing to yield, willing to yield. I know a lot of Christians that, that they miss this part. Willing to yield means I'm, I'm interested in what you have to say. It means open to reason, willing to listen. It means I'm obedient. I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to yield to what God's teaching me. You see, even this morning as we study the tongue, and you, know, you might say, well, Rob, I, I don't even like to hear this because I don't, I'm going to talk the way that I want to talk. That's not willing to yield. Willing to yield is someone who says, you know what? I realize that there's, there's some areas in my mouth and there's some things that I need to clean up. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Ask the Lord to show you what they are. And then he says it has to be full of mercy. Something that's coming from God, wisdom that come, coming from God, because God is merciful, it's going, to be mercy. He, it's going to be full of mercy. Full of mercy. Compassionate. Means, mercy means to, give, to get what you don't deserve. Or, or, I'm sorry, mercy means not getting what you deserve. It means giving someone a break. 
not making them, not giving them what they deserve. Maybe somebody wrongs you in a certain way. You're going to be merciful, which means I'm not going to ask you for the money back that you didn't pay back. I'm not going to, you know, hurt you in the way that I could hurt you. And I mean verbally, I'm not mean physically. I'm not going to do this thing to you that I'm perfectly justified in doing. I'm going to be merciful. Because we want mercy from the Lord. So he, he said, be merciful. And he says it's full of good fruits. It's positive qualities. If, it, if, if you're hearing something from the Lord, if, you're, if the Lord's putting on your heart, hey, I want you to go, you know, go tell this guy down the street what you really think of him. And it's going to be from God. Well, yeah, and you, you put that through the filter and you go, wait a minute, is that pure? Well, it could be. Is it peaceable? Well, not really. Is it gentle? No. Is it willing to yield, to open to reason? No. Then it fails the test. It's not from God. Wisdom from God is going to have these characteristics, full of good fruits, and it's going to be without partiality. It means without prejudice, which means it's not applied to one person and not another. Which means if you're going to apply it to somebody else, you have to apply it to yourself. Because so often we raise the standards for other people. Oh, but I don't want to live up to that. That's too hard. That's too complicated. It has to be without hypocrisy. Doesn't that the word we always hate? That's what we hear about church, just a bunch of hypocrites. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. You're two-faced. You say one thing, you glory to Jesus on Sunday, and the rest of the week you're not. That's not how we should be. That's not what James is saying a Christian should act. I realize that as Christians we make mistakes, but I think we've done a lot of damage to ourselves. I, I would rather somebody who's living in the world not say they're a Christian. I have more respect for someone who says, I'm not a Christian, I'm going out to do what I want to do. Don't pretend you're a Christian and say you're a Christian on Sunday and go do it and don't act like it. That's what James is talking about here. Your faith without works is dead. You do more harm to the... Don't tell people you're a Christian if you're living like a sinner. Why? You're, you're doing more harm to the faith than you are bringing... Well, they look at you and go, well, I don't want any part of that. What good is that life? I'd rather just keep... Why? Now you have to go to church and feel guilty about what you're doing. At least I don't have to feel guilty about it. Go. Don't, 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 don't do that without hypocrisy. This is the filter that you can pass any teaching, any conversation, any advice any word of instruction, any work of knowledge, you can pass anything that you're hearing through this filter to determine, is this godly or is it ungodly? Is this information that I'm hearing, is it from God? Is it godly? You want to know if your conversation at lunchtime is godly? Put it through that filter. Is it peaceable? Is it pure? Is it willing to yield? Is it full of mercy? Is it full of good fruits? Is it without partiality? Is it without hypocrisy? Then it's godly. It's godly wisdom. If it's got those things in it, it's not. It's not godly at all. If it comes from God, it'll meet those standards. The last verse we're going to look at this morning is this. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness or the fruit of justice is sown by those who make peace. Are you a person or am I a person that is always at odds with somebody? Is there, is there, is, are, are you a peacemaker or is there always a problem? Every job, there's a problem. Every friend, there's a problem. Every church, there's a problem. Every relationship, there's a problem. James is saying, hey, let's use our words to be peacemakers. Let's be peace. Let's, 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 let's work on, on getting along with one another because we're all sinners. But we have this strange way of me looking at your sin going, well, I'm glad I'm not that bad. And then I want to tell everybody how bad you really are. Now, I don't do that. I just use that for an example. But you understand what I'm saying? That, that's the human nature because by pushing somebody down, we elevate ourselves and it makes us feel better. But the truth is, when we stand before a holy and a just God, we find ourselves all falling short. And it's only by the blood of Christ that we can even stand in his presence. Now, in conclusion, I want you to remember these things. My tongue has a lot of power. Your tongue has a lot of power. It can build up or break down. It can encourage or discourage. It can compliment or con condemn. Your tongue has a lot of power, and what you say has the ability to affect people for a long time. You ever say anything really hurtful to somebody? How long can it take them to get over it? Sometimes kids in school make fun of other kids, and they carry it with them for the rest of their life. They never get over it because of what some dumb kid said, and it affects them. A mature Christian will be able to control his or her tongue and if he can control his tongue, the rest of the body will also be in control. Use it as a standard. As you talk to somebody, I'm a Christian, just listen. As you listen, you'll know right where they're at with the Lord by what they're saying. You'll know right what they're at, how, how, how it's coming out of their mouth. My tongue can be constructive 
or destructive. It can be used to steer a ship or guide a horse, or it can be like a fire burning an entire forest. I can build people up or I can tear them down with it. My tongue, your tongue, should have a singular purpose for good, not a dual personality. If the wisdom is from God, if the conversation is from God, if it's from God, it will be pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, because those are characteristics of God. That's who God is. That's who he is, pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. That's not all of who he is. That's some of who he is. Because he's also the judge, the righteous judge. There's other characteristics that go along with that, but those are all fit God as well. And I'll close with this verse. Proverbs 18.21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. You have death and life in the power of your tongue on what you say to somebody today, and especially the people that are close to you, especially your husbands and your wives. Communication is one of the biggest problems in marriages, all because people can't use their tongue properly or they're using their tongue improperly. I pray that this morning we would consider our tongues and I don't, I don't, you know, we teach the Bible the way we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I pray that you would allow this scripture to look at your heart. That you would say to the Lord, what, where, where am I at with this? And if you're not sure, ask your wife or your husband or your mom or dad and they'll tell you. But let it, let it examine your heart, individually, on your own. All right, let's pray and then we'll sing a last song. Father, we thank you for this word, although it can be difficult, Lord, it's a As we study this, it seems to be such an area that we all fall short in over and over again. But Lord, I know that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we have the ability to tame our tongue, to bridle our tongue, to control the rest of our body. Through your strength and your power, it's been given to us, Lord. Not of our own, not out of mere uh, self-will or willpower, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I can do this. And so can everybody in here. And I pray that we would allow the scriptures to search us. Lord, thank you for this food that we're going to share together. Thank you for this time in fellowship. Thank you for this time in word. Thank you for the people that you've brought here. Lord, may we be people who rightly represent you in our actions and in our words together. In Jesus' name, amen.